0: This Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Foley is Pod, and of course we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer and the hardcore legend himself, Mr. Mick Foley. Mick, how are you, man?
1: I'm doing great. And again, uh, helping out my buddy, who's got his own uh, energy drink. So if uh, you want to pick up a ZOA, uh, help out a struggling Dwayne Johnson, uh, we would both appreciate it. By the way, did you happen to see uh, uh, Young Rock, the Foley episode? I did. What did you think? Uh, You know, I wrote a little uh, post about it, and I said, you know, most of my, like, great moments have come, like, in front of, like, packed arenas, you know, that that you can share it with people. And here I am, it's just me in my hotel room. I'm I'm fighting off tears. Wow. I really was, you know. I mean, uh, he, the the actor, captured the spirit. You know, he didn't look that much like me, but he captured the spirit of it, and I just thought, wow, like, that is... I didn't know, like you know, that I obviously the talks I had with Rock, you know, when he was uh, before he became a dad, or when he was a very new father with Simone, uh, about uh, my love for Christmas must have had an impact, no because doubt. that made an impression on him, no doubt. And even though there are some facts there that are you know smoothed over, like the spirit, it's true to the spirit of that friendship, and I was just really, I was just <laughs> I was really blown away especially by the life-size figure of Tori Amos made out of every thumbtack. Hilarious. I'd pull that of my back. There is no such thing.
0: But it's hilarious.
1: It's hilarious. And I wonder now if there actually is such a thing, and if there is such a thing, how I can get it. Because <laughs> I would love to have that as part of my, uh, you know, just part of the Foley House collection.
0: I love it. I, uh, I think Young Rock probably gets a bad rap. I think... A lot of hardcore wrestling fans who take a look and they say, well, that's not exactly how this happened. Man, the show's not for us. Yes. it's for right. It's for lapsed fans, casual fans, not the hardcores. Yeah. It's for families and such and people who aren't really fans, but maybe could be.
1: Not exactly the same thing, but uh, Tommy Avalone, who did the I Am Santa Claus and went on to do the Bill Murray stories and the I... Love you, uh, you hate me. The Barney uh, yes. documentary, it's great out there. Job on that. Yeah, it's a great job, and the Bill Murray story is outstanding. Although I think his, you know, his crowning, uh, his crown jewel is, I am Santa Claus. Yes. And, you know, I was an actively a part of it, producing it, helping with the editing, even though I didn't know anymore which buttons to push, I could tell him, I think this should go here and this there, and as it pertains specifically to uh, the uh, Santa, I know we're not here to, any of you guys tuning in, we're not here to do a long form dive, deep dive into I Am Santa Claus, but I was just pointing out there was a swinging Santa, and I said, I said to Tommy, I said, instead of... Don't, don't, I said, put the visit to the swingers club before your interview with Rob, you know, Santa Rob. And he said, okay, why? I said, let people build up their idea of what this guy is based on this humorous look into, you know, his his personal life and his, you know, fondness for swinging, non-monogamistic lifestyle, and then do the interview where he will just, Destroy everything you thought about him. Destroy in a good way because you realize how deep this guy is and what a great heart he has. And so Tommy paid a lot of attention to me. And when it came to, I think this should go here, this should go there. When I saw the final thing, you know, I was really proud of it because I'd played a little hand in it. But at a certain point, I said, Tommy, I'm not sure. Maybe you're being a little too tough on the Santas. And he said, Mick, I'm not making this movie for Santas. Mm. I'm making it. For people outside that world. Yes. And I think that's what Rock is doing yes. with Young Rock. You know, it's not for the the diehards. It's right. for the average people who either like wrestling a little bit or maybe never watch it at all or might actively dislike it but love the characters on the show. Yeah. So I think well that's just something to consider.
0: Well, listen, it's been a while since you and I got to sit down. We are yeah. not shy about the fact that we tried to put a few in the can so you could go enjoy the holiday season. Uh, we had some inclement weather here in the South, uh, all, all, during the holidays. And it, it even caused rolling blackouts in parts of Alabama yeah. and Tennessee and a few other areas. And, uh, Grillo, our guy, our third man here on the show, yep. he lost power intermittently you did. over and over and over. And, and I was without internet for six days. And, and I'm sure the, the, you know, you being from the Northeast, you're like, uh, oh, man, these people in the South, they don't know how to behave, but it is different it's down here. Different. Is well,
1: The main difference is, uh, you know, here comes the snow, and uh, my kids say, Oh, one of the plows coming. I said, They're not.
2: There aren't any.
1: (laughs) Yes. What do you mean? I said, You let it melt. But, Dad, it's going to be five degrees tomorrow, the next day. I said, I guess we're going to have to wait a while. Because I knew from living in Texas, where we had one big snowstorm when I was there in 88 or 89. Uh, And I knew from living in Atlanta, where we had one or two in my four or five years there, that you just let it melt, brother. Yes. And it worked out. I mean, I just feel bad for every single person who either got caught up in that Southwest nightmare. Oh, gosh. You know, I was part of that. Uh, I was supposed to fly with my mom back to uh, Long Island on December 26th. And by that point, the weather was clearing up. And I said, it's canceled. I didn't realize it was a staffing problem. Right, right, so right. we went and changed it to Delta. I got out the next day. No big deal. But most people aren't in a situation where they can just do that. Yes. You know, there's cost to be concerned. And, you know, you don't know whether you're going to get your money back. Uh, so I just feel bad for every single person who was out there was out without their loved ones or had the enormous hassle of trying to get there and home with bad weather and extreme uh, staff shortages.
0: Well, but somehow, I imagine, weather be damned, uh, there was a Santa Claus rubbing, running around oh, these parts. We
1: had a good, we had a great time. This is the first year that my wife joined me as Mrs. Claus. Wow. So we will, by magic, pop up a little photo, and she crushed it. We did, we do videos. You saw the letter. Yes. That, you know, that take a lot of pride in the letters. And then I had my man, uh, Casey Hopkins. This is the first time we've actually, that... Uh, we've edited the Santa videos before they were, you know, it was just me and my kids and one yes. camera shot and we had music and they were well edited. And I've been doing this. I've been in this world, this Santa world for 12 years. If someone's done better videos, I've never seen them. Right. I really haven't. I was just really proud of it. It was really cool that my wife was able, and this, it's, it, we only do them for about 12 or 15 of uh, you know, it's my, colleagues uh in wrestling it's a few personal friends and a few family members that's it um but it was great it was really great because uh my entire family was there for christmas for the first time in four years wow COVID had really crushed us the last few years um so we were all together my mom was down there and it was a it was a great christmas
0: that's awesome man i'm glad to hear it and i'm sure there's some funny stories we'll get to tell about next christmas but I, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about a chat you had with a mutual friend of ours, Mr. Kevin Nash.
1: Yeah, man. I just, I posted about this. I hate, the, I don't hate the idea that I'm not supposed to talk about a show I may or may not be doing. WWE and A&E is going to ask me to talk about it in the next, probably next month or so. But let's...
0: Hypothetically. I,
1: hypothetically, let's say there were cameras rolling when I made my visit. Kevin... We know he's been through a lot, yes. and I believe his podcast is a great source of comfort to him. Absolutely, especially the you know the way it's it's been received. And I got to tell you, I cannot remember the last time I laughed this hard. Uh, the it's in the editor's hands, but if they capture one tenth of the. <laughs> Fun that we had shooting this thing, it will have people holding our stomachs. I, I almost had to tell Kevin to stop because my back was hurting. He just got on a roll and he ran with it. Yes. In So the we can't always have strangers traipsing around people's personal homes, yes. right? So occasionally there'll be an Airbnb thrown into the mix. Right. And let's just say if this was an Airbnb, it didn't have a great deal of landscaping. So, so Kevin, <laughs> he's, got a, he's got a backyard that's about 10 feet deep uh, with a dirt road running through the back of it. Nice house put on a, a plot of land that's less than pristine. So once Kevin starts going, the important thing about uh, landscaping is it not overpower the house, <laughs> which is why I choose to go with these <laughs> scrubby bushes and he just fed off the laughter, and I, I got to tell you, I don't remember someone being on a roll yes. like that. Just where it was minute after minute after minute, and then when we get just ready to shoot the second part, uh, just it was just it was really a fun day, and uh, it felt great to me. And I think Kevin needed to laugh um, more than any of us. So I encourage people to listen to Kevin's podcast, yes, because it's great. It's doing great numbers. And also to tune in, Uh, every episode is going to be good of of this show, but this one is going to be a knockout. Hypothetically. Yeah, hypothetically, if I am indeed involved with A&E and WWE, this episode will be a great episode.
0: One of the funniest, wittiest, sharpest minds ever in wrestling, and just, uh, I mean, in another life, he was a stand-up comedian. I mean, his sense Ah, of timing and delivery is outstanding.
1: And it's bizarre. It's... It's, it's like surreal stuff, you know, just crazy stuff, places he's willing to go. that yes. You know, it can be a little uncomfortable, but you are always glad you took the ride.
0: And, uh, of course, we also want to mention that uh, as we sort of put a button on our holiday travel, you uh, you had some friends of yours take a look at our Christmas episode. And I know we wanted to talk about oh, that. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. I One of my favorite stories about Brandon... Uh, Brandon and his mom, um, and and I, when I was telling the story to you guys a few weeks ago, um, the mom and dad were, they, they told me, Brandon, you know, he's, no, he's out of the magic age, and they were deciding how he, they should handle the news, you know, that, okay, you know, maybe you've outgrown this, but let me tell you who Santa was. Right. And uh, so I wrote a letter. It took me about an hour to write a letter, different than the one you saw with uh, uh, that I wrote for uh, Nick and Mickey, but the same amount of time that went into it, just saying that, you know, you've reached that point in your life where you have questioned whether one man can circumnavigate the globe in a single evening. Truth is, you can't do it with a lot of help. So I'm like, Dad, I'm walking a line there, yes, you yes, know. Yes. But I'm more or less admitting Santa needs some help. And I'm also asking him if he would do his part to make Christmas as magical as possible for his two younger sisters, one of whom is a gigantic WWE fan and a fan of mine without any prompting. And she's got about a year to go until the magic age. So um, the letter arrived and uh, the mom and dad texted me and said, when do you think we should show it to him?" I said, that's your call. but I always screenshot a letter that I send of that nature so I make sure I'm not stepping on the parents, you know, on yeah. the you know, their feelings of responsibility. And so the young man had the presence of mind to record a video for me in which he was very emotional and very grateful, thankful that, you know, I'd been his Santa for six or seven seven years, I think. That's amazing. It was really it was really cool. It was a great payoff and um if the sister is next, you know, maybe we get her an extra year in the magic age, which we, you and I were saying before we went on camera was like the ultimate compliment. Absolutely. But when it's her time, you know, she's going to have a great, uh, you know, there's gonna, a greater story inside that story. So it was really, it was really a fun time for me. It was really a good, good Christmas.
0: Well, I'm glad you had a great Christmas. We've had a lot of fun recording these episodes. And one of the first things that we enjoyed talking about was duding it up. <laughs> and we've talked about the Dude Love episode before. So, Mick, this is fantastic. And I hear it came on the heels of a reunion of sorts.
1: It came on the heels of a re- reunion. I don't remember exact day in, in January 1985 that we recorded The Loved One. But it was on Christmas break. Uh so it was after Christmas, early January, before we go back to school. So I'm thinking just about 38 years ago to the day, give or take three or four days. Um, I, I wrote in, uh, have a nice day. What an accomplishment to talk Ishmael Lazada. Ish was going about... 5'10", 220, like as a high... Yeah, I was a big kid in high school, right? In 1983. Somehow we uh, put some Pons cold cream on his face because I didn't have actual makeup. A uh, pantyhose on his head so he looked bald. And uh, (laughs) Ishmael Lozada became Ishmael the Puerto Rican Giant wrestling in his underwear in 17-degree weather in my front yards. This wasn't backyard wrestling. It was front yard wrestling. Uh, I didn't know any, I didn't even realize any of this until I got a, uh, text from a mutual friend saying Ish was, you know, looking to get in touch with me. Hadn't heard from him or seen him in 20 years. So as fate would have it, I was doing uh, an episode of that show. Maybe, uh, maybe in that part of Southern Florida and we connected. And then, uh, I, I asked Casey if he could put together a little something (laughs) Uh, and I did not realize that I actually had, in fact, it up when I won my fictional WWE, it was a WWF belt. You know, my, my make was weight belt with aluminum foil over it and a paper plate in the middle that says WWF. And it was just fun since we talked about dooting up. Yes, Duting up was not in 1985 what we re- reimagined it to be now. Like where the dude would get in yes. and start doing the knees and all that. He basically just pulled a Hulkster, right? Showing you the you know the emphasis on Hogan, which I didn't even know existed in my own career. But brother, I basically stopped uh, selling for Ishmala, the Puerto Rican giant, and then I went to work with some of the worst looking offense. Uh, this side, <laughs> it was some hideous offense, right? I had the big thrust, the palm thrust that Snooker used. Uh, I believe there was some weak punches to the uh, the midsection, and then a sleeper for my finish, a sleeper hold for a finish. But it was pretty epic to see the dude just stop. salon brother, just dude it up, and the rest is history.
0: I love it. It's uh, it's so fun to to reminisce and talk about you know the the way this all evolved from your childhood dream to living it to now getting to create other childhood dreams for kids as Santa Claus. It's just you're the most interesting person I know, dude.
1: Whoa, really? Oh yeah, man, I, I mean, yeah.
0: I don't think that's I don't think that's a stretch. I mean, I'm like the Dos Equis guy, right? Well, except you're real. <laughs> to talk about Royal Rumble. Let's do it. Because you, as we've established on this very program, are Mr. January. (laughs) I mean, you are. All of the great stuff that's happened in your (laughs) wrestling career, more often than not, it happens in the month of January, and perhaps nothing bigger than what we're going to talk about today. I can't believe it. It's been 25 years since Three Faces of Foley in the Royal Rumble.
1: Incredible. Incredible. Now, probably there were two men in the dressing room who thought to themselves... Yes. I've been, you know, I lost my spot in the Rumble. But we are about creating memories. Yes. Um, And every, sometimes you have to take one for the team. Yes. You know, like, you, like the gimmick battle royal that took place. Yes. There were a lot of, you know, men, guys, I think it was specifically men in that, and who'd been cost uh, a Rumble. Or it would cost a, 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 a battle royal, uh, an entry into the WWE traditional WrestleMania battle royal. But it's the gimmick battle royal. Yes. It's about creating a memory, and you need to. you know, On the big shows, you have to come up with things that people remember fondly. So I'll go out on a limb and say I apologize to whoever, whichever two pieces of talent I cost a spot to.
0: You don't know uh, who they are. I, no,
1: I don't know who they are. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think they may not even know who they are. They may not know who. There they may are.
0: be thirty guys who, right, think, it was right, their who spot. think
1: it was their spot. Yeah, but that was really special. That was really fun, and I think in the history of the rumble, I think it's a top five moment. I would agree, the top five. I think it's really safe to say it's top ten. Um, and uh and we cost two people a spot, but we created a a, a memory that has uh, been a source of fondness for twenty five years
0: that awesome street fight you had with with triple h uh madison square garden that incredible i quit match with the brutality of the chair shots of you and rock and this man don't forget oh santino come on versus
1: cobra brother
0: there's a lot of fantastic royal rumble memories with mick foley uh let's just pick up where we left off you know we recently talked about the montreal screw job and and you went to the taping after that raw taping uh, where you're going to be, you know, protesting for one show, but back the next night. And you wrote in your book, personally, I felt as if my career was at a crossroads. I knew that Vince was a big fan of both Mankind and the Dude, but I felt personally that Cactus Jack could draw the most interest and money. With the return of Cactus Jack in mind, I proposed a somewhat bizarre series of matches with my old friend and nemesis Terry Funk, who, which would culminate in a coup de grace of barbarity at WrestleMania.
1: Yeah, I kind of wanted to do uh, off-site. I wouldn't say it was cinematic uh, because it would have been shot like a traditional match, but off-site, if that's what I'm you know, referring to. And it, uh, it got Ixnayed because we didn't want to do that kind of violence on pay-per-view at that time, even though a year later we would you know, kind of set an unfortunate standard for violence with the I Quit match. Right. Um, but yeah, that did get Ixnayed, but got Ixnayed in favor of something even cooler.
0: Let me ask you about this because I'm fascinated by the idea that, all right, we're going to protest, we're quitting, we're not coming to work, we have a change of heart, we show up. Do that. Is it that day when you come back where you say, hey, here's what I'd like? Do you feel like I, at that point I don't you have think a little so. leverage?
1: Uh, no, I don't know if it's that I had any leverage. I think it goes back to uh, this is Tommy Billington doing an imitation of Harley race because Harley was one of the great, uh, everyone had a Harley race imitation, right? Right. How many times have you seen The Nature Boy? cigarette, black? yeah. Cigarette, so... Uh, I'll move. <laughs> I'll move. Yeah. So, uh, when uh, Dynamite Kid sees Harley in WWE after Harley had sworn, you know, sworn enemy of WWE. Yes. You know, Harley, would happen. I won't even try to do justice to Tommy's accent. And Harley goes... Oh, come on. You know, I, I can't do it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and Harley goes, well, Tommy... Uh, if you can't beat them, join them. And so, uh, I mean, in a similar fashion, once I realized that I couldn't, I mean, I was a, I could, I had no other move, right? right? I had to go back. And as long as you're going to go back, you might as well be all in. And I was, which didn't mean that it didn't hurt what, what, that didn't mean what had happened to Brett didn't hurt. But we all, you know, Brett landed on his feet. Owen was back, you know, so we were all kind of doing the best we could.
0: So you wrote uh, that it was a conversation with Victor Canones that put the thought in your head, a best of seven death match Ooh. tournament between yourself and Terry with the blow off being at WrestleMania via satellite live from Terry's double cross ranch. So that's the offsite you were sort of alluding to. <laughs> yeah. But a, a best of, of seven deathmatch. And what's crazy is I never imagined that Vince would be would be into that idea. And we just recently talked to Court Bauer uh, over on adfreeshows.com. And he talked about showing Vince electrified barbed wire matches. Yeah. So, you know, there's explosions and stuff. And Vince was like, okay, let's do it. Which totally <laughs> blows me away. Like, what? How would he ever even consider that? And I forget... This is the same guy who once had a fire ring around. Yeah, yeah, know? we
1: did some. And Clearly, you know the the cell. Yes. Was, uh, you know, and it, and it was not only was that match hardcore, but the one that preceded it was Shawn Michaels and yes. Undertaker, which to, for my money, is still the best cell match has ever been. Yours but is it, most memorable. Mine's most memorable. That was the best. I think that's uh, yeah, that's a, a good fair way to do it. But they took pride in the and and uh, marketed the barbarity yes. that we were going to promise. And that became a problem as the matches, as the some matches went on because some of them did not live up to that billing, but that's what it was supposed to be. Uh so there Vince, I think he, he we went a long way from when um um who's the gentleman with the Duke the Dumpster Drozzy, yes. The gentleman with the yes. du- with the garbage cans. Yes. Remember he attacked Lawler? Or yes. he ta- and then they had to apologize, or did Lawler attack Duke? But anyway, there's a garbage can attack, and it was almost like a public apology because yeah. it was seen as being too...
0: And like 18 months later, we're pulling guns on TV. <laughs> it escalated.
1: In a hurry, yeah, yes. in a hurry, yeah.
0: So what was your vision for death matches with Terry Funk?
1: Oh, man, we're going back 25 years. I, I, remember, the, I remember the idea for the blow-off, although I had forgotten it was... Uh, I had suggested Double Cross Ranch. I thought it was like some, e- some exotic island. Um, although I think FMW did have a couple exotic island matches. They
0: did, Where, like a floating yeah. ring and yeah. the whole thing. Yeah.
1: I think it was just you know uh, best of seven uh, thumbtacks. Bar, you know, thumbtacks would be one match, barbed wire. But we we could figure out the different stipulations, but it would come down to the to the seventh death match, which would be uh, WrestleMania.
0: And the thing is, you know, as crazy as that may sound in hindsight, let's remember in 1996, they did a par, a, a Hollywood backlot brawl with mm-hmm. Goldust and mm-hmm. Roddy Piper. So it's not as if to say this is totally out of the question that right. we would do something off-site at WrestleMania. But, man, what could have been you and, and Terry Funk at the Double Cross Ranch? Obviously, you go pitch this. Um, the other thing we got to discuss is, Terry had walked out on the company just a handful of years prior in mm-hmm. Survivor Series 93. He was supposed to be one of the mass wrestlers with Shawn Michaels against the Hart family. And the story, of course, is he decided he didn't want to do the job. So, is that why he didn't do it? Well, that's what people say, and he left a note with all the gear that said his horse was sick.
1: My horse is sick. I've got to go. Yeah. Which is
0: code for <laughs> no thanks.
1: But um, this is Survivor Series.
0: Yes.
2: Terry
1: Funk has put over a who's who of... Uh, legendary and not so legendary figures like Terry was a guy who did what he thought was best for business. It surprises me that he, 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 I'll ask him about it. i am going to see Terry in a couple weeks. So I have a uh, convention in Albuquerque and that's only about five hours from Amarillo. I the ride. A drive I'm gonna make the ride for and I will ask him and I will have an answer in a couple of weeks.
0: Well, you wrestle against him when he does return to the WWF in late 96 and early 97, and then you work the rumble against him. But in the meantime, uh, he would go on shotgun Saturday night <laughs> and call Vince uh, a GDSOB, <laughs> except he said it the real way. And I think he even said that someone's mother may have been a whore. And <laughs> uh,
1: I think these are all things he was told not to say correct. before they went live. Yes. Yeah.
0: And then he just did it because they're live.
1: And they're live. And this is, you know, Bruce tells a great story. The best. The best story about talking with Rock. Rock is concerned because Hunter's going off script. He says to Rock, It's live. It's live. Are you willing to take a, 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 an earful? Chewing? Yeah. Yeah, earful, ass chewing is yes. Then do what you have to do. Yeah. And that was a light switching moment for The Rock. So Terry, I, oh, man. What he lost from doing that was not as much as he gained from the shock of, of doing it live. Because I think in Vince's, it's, I gotta continue to watch out for this guy. Yes. Although Terry had a good run, he had a good run. It ended too soon, ended um, uh, in two thousand and eighteen, right?
2: Um, you know the I match mean, it,
1: yeah, yeah. No, it ended. Uh, Talking about Terry's run in WWE oh, would yeah, end yeah, yeah. about four months after the Rumble. Yes. Because he and I had a nice, uh, t- you know, we had a nice teaming. Uh, we won the tag team titles yeah. or didn't, depending on whether or not you count that uh, win at Mania in the wrong dumpster. Yes. As a title match. So I forgive me at home if I'm forgetting my weeks and a couple months. I think one of the things that we, you and I decided is I do better when I do no research whatsoever. Yes. Yes. Yep. yes. You remind me of a few things and it kicks into gear. Because if go. I see the subjects and I start thinking about them, then I don't think we get the flow. I At agree. least that's my excuse for doing zero homework.
0: I prefer it. Right, thank you. Um, you, in your book, he you wrote, his answer was simple. Cactus, I would love to work with you again. Now came the hard part of pitching the idea to Vince. I requested a meeting with him and we met along with Bruce Pritchard, Jim Ross, after TV tapings one night. I tried to stress the human drama aspect over the blood and guts, although I freely admit there would be plenty of that also. I also wanted him to know the quality of matches would be what counted, and I personally gave him my guarantee they would be top-notch. I proposed that the series of matches would cover January, February, and March pay-per-views, with March being the WrestleMania blowout. The other four tournament matches could take place after television tapings with cameras still rolling so that the highlights of the ring atrocities could be aired. I also speculated that a video of the death match tournament would bring in big money. Because at
1: that time, people were buying video cassettes. Absolutely. Right? I don't even know if DVDs had been invented yet. They were not popular. Okay.
0: okay. Uh, Vince seemed intrigued, especially with the notion of a ring exploding at Terry's ranch. We might possibly be able to do this, the evil McMahon stated. Uh, of course, before we go any further, we should discuss what you're doing after Survivor Series. This is that Canadian loop that has you and Steve Austin defeating Owen Hart and Jim Neidhart in Ontario. You're going to work some singles matches against Nightheart, and this is fresh off of the screw job. Jim needs a job. Jim's trying to provide for his family. Jim's making towns. You're in the ring with him. Did it feel different? Did it feel awkward or another day at the office?
1: Because it was Jim and because he was related to...
0: Because of the relationship. He's part of Brett's family and he's still here. And Not that you were judging him, but I'm sure he felt a certain type of way about, should I be here, should I not? All of that.
1: Damn, and that was the unfortunate fracturing of the hearts over... uh, That was really tough. Yes. That was really tough. Um, I mean, bottom line, you know... Owen was back. Jim was back. Um, I can't... can't, Honestly, I can't even remember that I had those matches. Yes. So I can't tell you what I was feeling. I know in general, though, that once I came back, I I felt like I was at home. Yes. You know? (sighs) Look, it was like... There's strength in numbers, and, and one is not only the loneliest number, it's the weakest number, right? Yes. So, and Rude, Rick Rude, did he quit the company. Mm-hmm. So so actually there was two of us who didn't go to work. Um, but once I realized I was dealing from a position of no strength, like that was kind of my excuse to get back is that, what am I? you know, what am I going to do? Yeah. Will you make a stand, uh, not work for the next five years? At that point, my name would have been forgotten in about two months. And it would have been all for, not.
0: Do you really believe that your name would have been forgotten in two months? You're just
2: saying that. Well,
1: well, no, I'm I'm saying that there was, there was no internet, yes. to keep it alive. I had no way of getting my opinion out to people, and it would have been five years without a job, five years. Yeah, can't do that. There were no conventions. Right. Uh, appearances hadn't even started. When we did appearances, we got paid an extra two hundred dollars from WWE. Yeah, so there was—I mean, I, I could have—I could have been a working. Well, well, no, I wouldn't have been allowed if they wanted to enforce the contract. I—they could have specified that I could not work anywhere for five years. So I think a few months into the run, yeah, largely forgotten. Sure. Wow. And by the time the gig was up in four and a half more years or whatever the length of the contract was, yeah, I think I would have been almost
0: entirely forgotten. Well, you're not going to be. Thank you. Um, you wound up working with uh, Neidhart at Madison Square Garden in an ODQ match as Dude Love. You have George Steele the By the way,
1: the uh, uh, George was in my corner. Yes. Barry Blaustein, director of Beyond the Mat, said it was fun. It wasn't good. Yes. But it was fun. So yeah, me and, uh, so that would have been dude and
0: Jim, the Anvil dude and Jim at the garden. Okay. Yes. With right. the animal in your corner. <laughs> you're also on shotgun, uh, for a few weeks, you're going to defeat the Sultan and Mark Miro. All of a sudden I'm starting to see why maybe you want to work with Terry Funk. Maybe. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> well, the Sultan is Rikishi, right? Yes. You're but it's shotgun. The,
0: right. It's shot.
1: Um, but Shotgun Saturday Night at that time was... Had a little buzz. It had a little buzz, and it was supposed to be something.
0: Well, I think what we're talking about is it was supposed to be something in 96. Yeah. Oh, but okay. by But okay. yeah, yeah, okay. it's velocity. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha, yes. Um, you're not on the December 97 In Your House pay-per-view. Uh, it's uh, now three In Your Houses where you're not wrestling on the show, which mm-hmm. is a damn shame because we all know you, sir... Or Mister in your house.
1: Mister in your house. The only, the only wrestler with his own podcast theme song.
0: There you go. And the uh, uh, Grillo, can
1: we play just a little bit of that?
0: Yeah, let's do it right now. It is catchy. It is nice tune. And you can see the link below to pick up that (laughs) T-shirt. Uh, so the next night, uh, on the December 8th, raw in Portland, you're going to defend or you're going to pin rather, uh, the WWF tag team champion, Billy Gunn with a double arm DDT. But after the bout, the road dog who was doing guest commentary for the bout comes in and hits you with a steel chair before placing one of the tag belts across your face. So Billy can hit a leg drop on it. And the new age outlaws are just really starting to get hot at this time. Of course, Billy had enjoyed success as part of the smoking guns, but then the whole regrettable rockabilly thing. Yeah. And then that whole real double J and boy, it was just, they were going nowhere fast, right. but then they put them together put them and together, it was magic.
1: Put them together on a house show and yeah, they were magic together. And they were just starting to get going. And this was in, uh, I think Durham, New Hampshire, because they they threw me off the ramp, right? Or threw me off the stage?
0: Yeah. So dude's gonna block it and brawl with Gun up the ramp, and then Gun and Road Dog are gonna suplex Dude on the steel cage. Conrad, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Uh,
1: have you ever worked with Billy Gunn where he's not going over?
0: Nope.
1: Uh, do you think he sold a lot of my offense? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Okay. Just just put it out. There. <laughs> <laughs> That's. a... Uh, that's my line, no sold it, like he was Billy Gunn during a TV loss. Yep. That's oh, I love the that standard for no selling.
0: Well, uh, that, well we're going to have to uh, remember that and use it again. Uh, you get suplex on a steel cage, and the fans are chanting LOD. Eventually, they throw you off the stage, onto a table, on the floor and i kind
1: of uh, overshot the table and a you little bit.
0: just graze it and nail the floor
1: Boom. yeah grazed it i mean the table leg went ding you know and just it i guess it it slowed down my uh the velocity but not by much i mean i went crashing to the floor and i was i was hurting i went to the hospital that night
0: well they show you when they come back from commercial you're grabbing your left shoulder and your ribs and you could see the ref was legitimately concerned and calling for help but uh, old no cell gun. He's over there laying the boots in either way. Uh, <laughs> you go to the hospital, <laughs> I'm curious, what kind of tests do they run? I mean, are they trying to check and see if you have internal bleeding? x rays?
1: Okay. X rays. So um, they weren't broken ribs, but I guess they were uh, bruised. Yes. Um, I do, uh, yeah, I remember I was staying with Scotty Tuhati and his wife. And uh, I made up a reason why I had to leave the next day early, and the reason was I had worked it out with the owners of Santa's Village that I could go to the park and walk around on my own. My wife, when I reached out to the owners of Santa's Village, told them who I was and my desire to walk around in the snow before they. This is about five years before they opened up to the public. And it's a wonderful place to go in December for anyone up in the New England area. They probably already know about it, but it's a great destination. But in this case, it was just me walking around this area that meant so much to me as a child. And my wife said, they'll never allow you in that park again. And instead, it turned out to be a great relationship, great friendship with me, to the point where I even dedicated um, my uh, Santa memoir, not only to Mickey and Huey for keeping the Magic Alive, but to Elaine Gaynor for Making Her Village. My backyard.
0: That's awesome. You uh, you wrote, gun grabbed me and sent me sailing off a seven and a half foot stage. <laughs> I once heard the <laughs> ring referred to as being fifteen feet high, <laughs> but that would make me about thirteen feet. Oh, you are talking about the ca- the
1: the, uh, the cage? Yes, yes. Because yes. it was a fifteen foot high steel cage, and there are shots you know where guys' heads are about six inches from the top of the cage, but you yes. just hear it so often. Yes. Fifteen foot high steel cage. It becomes part of your. Yes. Like the ten
0: pounds of gold. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Let's fast forward. Once we know you're okay and you just got the bruised ribs, on the fifteenth we see the very first Vince attitude promo. This is where he starts talking about how we're not going to insult your intelligence with good guys versus bad guys. Yeah. Uh, Did you did you see that? Happen uh, like as a pre-tape or would you watch it on a monitor? Did it feel like there was a shift to you as someone who was inside the business?
1: When we were talking, when we did the Pillman episode a few months back, uh, I think I brought it up then, or maybe you brought it up to me that Vince talked to all the the, the men and women in the dressing room um, within a couple days of Brian's death and said what we were doing before is no longer working. And if we're gonna be successful, we need to rely on all of you to bring out yourselves in your characters. That, to me, was the dawn of the Attitude Era. Uh, You could pinpoint it with, you know, the arrival of a couple other people or Austin 316, or even though Austin 316 was already taking off in a huge way, uh, but to me, that was the difference maker. That was the gear shifter and uh there was a palpable sense of excitement that i think this we've talked before about kevin nash coined it you know you were a you were a thing you were a job vocation right yeah. that so many of the characters yeah occupational they were gone right yes. the one dimensional gimmicks that had worked well in the 80s thing of the past right more well-rounded characters amplifying their own um uh, th- their own personalities became the way to go, and without that talk and without that shift in opinions from Vince, we would have been swallowed up by uh, WCW.
0: I do feel like there's a there's a snowball effect here. I play. don't
1: I don't mean swallowed up and gone, but we would have been a distant second sure. to
0: what they were doing. I just mean in terms of you take a look at '95 with the debut of the Goldust character and then your debut in 96, and then Austin 316, and then all of the Sean stuff in his shorts and DX, and it does feel like it starts to gain more and more momentum, and then it just takes off. Yeah. But I think you could even go back and say the Goldust character is the first time they started to really push the envelope mm-hmm. of maybe you know what this could yeah, be. Yeah,
1: yeah, he was a groundbreaker for sure. No doubt. I remember at the time he came out, you know that Meltzer had said, like, this could be... The death of you know Dustin Runnels in professional wrestling. It made it it made him. It was tremendous.
0: These near riotous situations in Little Rock and Memphis at house shows. Yeah. This is the era where about a year and a half into the NWO, it's become in fashion on the other program to throw trash in the room. And so now we've got this new rival group. Uh, on the WWF program, it's not the NWO, but it is DX. And so they're going out here and saying crazy things and doing crazy things and being heels and pissing the crowd off. And now the trash starts coming. Sean allegedly gets hit and says, okay, that's it. You just cost yourself the main event. And it becomes a dangerous situation. It was two
1: nights in a row. And I also think there may have been one in Richmond. Uh, it was right around this time, but there was another one in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, that may have been the dark match for the uh, the big blow-off I had with Terry Funk on Raw before I faced Steve in, um, I know I'm jumping ahead, this is May of, May of 98, so I'm jumping forward several months. But yeah, there were two in a row, Memphis and Little Rock. Yep. So Sean was basically creating the riotous atmosphere and then <laughs> blaming... The fans. He, yeah, he was whipping them up into a frenzy and then blaming them for the frenzy. Yes. So it was great heat. It was something we weren't used to seeing. Uh, but the, the heat turned... Uh, it went from a positive heat to a negative heat because of the near riotous conditions. So, I, I, you know, I went back to, you know, you look at old tapes of Ox Baker fighting his way out of Kansas City. In an era when, you know, it was a lot easier to suspend disbelief or just flat-out have the belief, you know. Um, But this was, yeah, these were some perilous conditions, and it showed you Sean could get that amazing heat. But on two consecutive nights, he did walk out of the main event.
0: And you're actually trying to talk the fans and sticking around and calming (laughs) down and hoping that they'll come out because you're in the middle of this for one of these moments. Is that the most... Is that one of the most surreal moments of a house it's, show? Yeah,
1: ever? Yeah, yeah. Because you, you know, used to dream about this kind of heat, and now you have it. Not you, I mean, yeah. not me, but talking about the the company. Um, and it wasn't. Uh, I mean, that was a time when sh- there was a time when Sean was difficult. Yes,
0: you know, this is that era. This
1: is that era, and he was absolutely magnificent in the ring, but he was difficult outside it. And it's been a long time since Sean's been difficult. He's been a great asset to the company and the developmental program. But he'll be the first to admit there was a bad Sean and a good Sean, and this was kind of bad Sean.
0: Were you pissed off at him? A little bit, yeah. I mean, that's reasonable. Yeah, a little bit. Did you, I mean, there's reports that it got so bad. I mean, people were trying to throw glass, and there were, I mean, allegedly there were the police involvement and smoke bombs and, Crazy stuff. Yeah. How much of that's true? How much of that's not? It was pretty hectic.
1: I mean, I think it just shows a, that the international oral sex hand signal, you know, can get some heat when you suggest to someone in the audience They might I mean, enjoy that. Sean was sort of actually like tickling the phantom balls, you know, he, he had the he had it down to where he can make people irate, you know. You look at some of the stuff he did, he was just in that zone, right? Yes. The guys Charisma was just incredible. It was off the page. And that worked wonders when he was a baby face, but it could incite riots when he was a heel.
0: When that's happening, and obviously the fans are pissed off at him. Phantom
1: Balls new t shirt?
0: Well, listen, if you're comfortable with a Phantom Balls t shirt, I am. <laughs> um, Tickle just, the Phantom Balls. <laughs> yes. Tickle the phantom balls, fa-la-la-la-la-la, like I could just tell (laughs) next year during cameo season, we're going to have fun with this. Did you feel in danger? Well, I was
1: backstage, um, like, yeah, uh, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, Um, because if it got to the next level, then we all have to run out there and... Stand by our man. You can tell I've been watching George and Tammy on Showtime. Excellent. Did you finish it yet? Oh, I love it. Loved it. Yeah. It's a good show. Yeah, really good.
0: Okay. So uh, you're then going to do an interview where you're going to transform into Mankind and then Cactus Jack. And Meltzer would say, real interesting in New York to see zero reaction to dude love and a huge pop when he switched to Cactus Jack. Jack ends up fighting both new age outlaws, winding up in a short singles match with Road Dog ending in a DQ when Billy Gunn interferes and he drags them to the back where there was a big box. As they fought, a chainsaw was sawing its way out of the box and there was a chant of Terry almost immediately (laughs) because it was not exactly a secret Funk was debuting on on the show. Funk came out wearing a stocking and was called Chainsaw Charlie and the announcers never used the name Terry Funk. He chased the outlaws around with a chainsaw, basically doing the Leatherface gimmick from Japan. Uh, this Chainsaw Charlie thing, as Bruce tells the story, he thinks this is all from the mind of Terry Funk. And uh,
1: Yes. So Terry even joked about it, saying that people thought it was like Vince's punishment for walking out uh, years earlier, and it all came from Terry. Like this Chainsaw Charlie thing was Terry's idea. The pantyhose over his head I don't know why we didn't all just sit down and go do the math and go, how long will it take you to cut out of that box? Because, you know, it's like on Mystery Science Theater, you see the, the bad guy walking out of the mummy. Yes. And the people are all banging off doing the Memphis yeah. back pedal, what I call it, you know, tripping, falling, when he's moving so slowly. In this case, it's uh, Billy and Road Dog as the astonished onlookers who watch as a human being cuts his way out of a box. Over Which the takes course, a little time. Takes a little time, more time than we thought. Uh, I'd still say it was good. I still believe Dave was too hard on dude love, stemming back from, uh, you know, some of the reports from the, uh, you know, earlier on, a few months, just a few months earlier, right? Yeah. Just a few months earlier. I don't think he was in dude's corner. So sometimes people see and hear what they want to see. I wasn't aware that there was any deafening silence for the dude. I will accept that Cactus Jack got the big pop, but um, this is only a few months removed from uh, September when yes, Dude where was last it. in. Yes. And that was, I think that'll go down as a great moment in most people's books. So this wasn't as elaborate, um, the, the reveal, the change, um, but it was a great way of yeah, helping kick off that, not kick off, but to prolong uh, the program that I had going with The, outlaw, the Outlaws.
0: You were right. For reasons I still don't quite understand, Terry was, at his own request, turned into Chainsaw Charlie. And the result wasn't quite what I was looking for (laughs) Cactus Jack stuck around for three months this time, but in truth, the impact was not all that great. It might have been a lack of interview time, or it might have been the somewhat anticlimactic debut of Terry chainsawing his way out of a wooden box with a pair of baby-powdered pantyhose on his head. (laughs) But for some reason, our team didn't quite take off as we had planned. Don't get me wrong. The team wasn't a failure, but it did fail to live up to what I thought it could be. I thought we could usher in a new era of danger and dynamic promos into the world of sports entertainment. Instead, we were just a couple of popular wrestlers who were miles apart from Steve Austin on the food chain. Yeah.
1: I think in retrospect, I I do tend to be tough on myself.
0: Yes,
2: you do.
1: When I was writing the the memoir, I'm recalling it the way it felt. And it did feel like, even though it was, it went well, it could have gone better. I expected it to go better. It didn't make the lasting impact. And I think uh, I can offer up to Terry leaving the company a few months after that, as probably left in May of of 98, 98 um, when he could have had a, a long life after that. He could have been a coach, a producer, sure. a lot of things. He could, Maybe those things have been offered to him. I don't know. But yeah, we yeah to trying to get within miles of Steve Austin's orbit was really difficult for anybody. So maybe I was being maybe I was being a little too tough on myself it did what, what Terry and I did did set the stage yes for uh, the reformation of DX and um, it set the stage for uh, Dude's heel turn and two successful matches with. Steve Austin, where I established myself as Mr. In Your House. So I think it was more successful than I gave myself credit for being. Probably, but still, not probably, definitely wasn't what I hoped it would be. Because What I hoped it would be would be the culmination of a Best of Seven Deathmatch series ending up with something that would be unforgettable at Mania.
0: Well, you think about all those iconic promos that Terry cut in the NWA and WCW and ECW and certainly yourself in WCW and ECW, and if you could... Bring all that together and, and put the WWE production with it. Yeah. And you guys have just adequate mic time to, to tell your stories and do your interviews, but then turn the volume up and bring that Japanese-style yeah. violence to the WWE. I could see how you would think this is going to...
1: Because we're only 10 years removed from Terry Funk completely taking over the NWA show, which will yes. later on to be WCW. He infamously piles flare on the table. It pile drives flare on the table. I mean, this is just, it's just such a, I know we're skipping over, but I I need to let people know what Terry was still capable of because I'd seen him do it.
0: In 89. In 89. one of the top guys around.
1: So when I say 88, did it start in 88, the the steamboat flare? uh, That was all 89. 89. Okay, 89. And so they'd had the great uh, Broadway at the Superdome, and now the big payoff is Nashville so The Chicago. Uh,
0: Nashville is the third and final third, one, yeah. and that's where Terry's a judge. Terry's and they a get judge. kicked off in May, and they wrap it up in December at a Clash of the Champions right. with the unbelievable I Quit match.
1: Incredible. Maybe still to this day my favorite match of all time. They had to change gears. It was a different, different feel for a flare match. Brawling, brawling. They weren't allowed to have a drop of blood because of the edict DBS. that went down at that time. They would go back and forth over the years, but they managed to have the most vicious brawl I'd ever seen without a, a drop of blood because of the, uh, you know, the energy and emotion they brought to it. But anyone goes back and looks at that WC, WCW slash NWA prod, product. Right after Flair left, and Terry kind of had the free hand to come in and just—he just took over the show in a way that I don't believe anyone's capable of doing to this day. And he just left his imprint on it. And the stuff he did, wild, and the the promos were great, and they were out there, and they got heat, uh, real and theat—you know—and theatrical, you know, real heat with uh, with with Rick, right? Uh, Who didn't. Wasn't comfortable with some of the stuff Terry was doing. But brother, when Rick came back, he Terry was a full... I mean, he was... Yeah, he was ready. He was ready. And they had some classic matches, like you said, culminated with that amazing I quit match. So we're only nine years removed from that. Terry's, he looks
0: to be in the best shape of his life. Yeah, he
1: was, I think, early 50s at that time. Uh, oh, no,
0: no. he was. He was... Early fifties and ninety seven in ECW. Oh, you mean with you? In yeah, 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 yeah.
1: So he yeah. was early fifties and ninety seven, still really ready yes. to go. Yes. And I thought we could have had those amazing matches. So we did have a good run, but sure. not what I hoped it would be.
0: No, I think that's fair. You know, I didn't see it from that perspective. As a fan, I thought it was fantastic.
1: Yeah. And he did the same thing everywhere he went. Yes. He would. You t- wouldn't see it. Because uh, everything was regional, but you go back and you look at Dusty Florida. Rhodes and the Florida stuff that he did. You look at him um,
0: Lawler in Tennessee. Lawler
1: in Tennessee, which was a phenomenal program. The stuff he did as a babyface in the original ECW before yes. it went extreme, you know, and he was basically holding it up and yes. and giving his uh, rub to you know a handful of guys who would go on to help you carry that company. He was everything that was right about wrestling. Yes. And, uh, uh, man, you know, he's he's struggling now, and I'm really looking forward to seeing him. We're going to have a, a good time, get together with uh, a couple of his family members and have some Texas West Texas barbecue. Looking forward to it.
0: Where does he rank on your Mount Rushmore? He's
1: number one. He is. And the reason being is that he made it so easy to suspend disbelief and this is a not, not a knock on the other guys, you know, who are either in my top ten or on my Mount Rushmore. But he was, to me, uh, he was the guy who could go in and make people look good. He made other people. He brought a sense of believability yes. to the matches and the promos, and he could have a good match in a, you know different styles with just about anybody. He raised everybody's game, and uh, but it's the believability. Other people may have had the same believability but didn't have the, you know, the other. The prowess. Uh, yeah, the prowess and didn't have the ability to switch from baby face to heel, to talk people into the building, yeah, uh, to not care. To go so far, I mean, Terry got stabbed in Corpus Christi, right? He, this is the building I was stabbed here. And uh, I said, did you press charges? He got mad at me. This is like in uh, 88, 88, this is 89 or early 90 when I was in WCW. He goes, what did you say? Did you ask me if I pressed charges? How could I press charges against somebody who was paying me the ultimate compliment? (laughs) And he considered getting stabbed to be a compliment.
0: Uh, One of my favorite Terry Funk moments, we, uh, in my handful of times hanging out with him, we wound up, watching old tapes and he said, Hey, do you have that ECW pay per view? He meant the first one. So yeah. I said, Yeah, sure. So I throw in the D V D. This is how long ago this was and uh we watch the match and there's a spot where he puts the uh the ladder on his head and, and he just spins wheeled, a, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, windmills yeah, yeah, around yeah. and gets the guys. And as he's doing that on camera or on the video, he looks to me and says, I went to college. <laughs> <laughs> And I just thought, what a great line that is that. Uh, Yeah. Just want to throw that out there. I went to college. (laughs) I went to college. Uh, A few days later, Jim Cornette called me up. Quote, Cactus, Vince loves the idea, but we're going to have to change it up a little bit. We want you and Terry to start off as a team at the Royal Rumble in January. Somehow you two have a falling out. And Terry challenges you to a Texas death match right there in Houston for the February pay-per-view. And you'll have the damnedest fight they've ever seen at WrestleMania. So, hey. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. It's not bad. Uh, Then Raw, of course, is taped on December 30th. It's going to air on the 5th. You're in New Haven, Connecticut. The uh, Outlaws are going to beat the Headbangers, and after the match, here you guys come out, and you're going to do an interview introducing yourself to the WWF fans, saying that you're going to bring blood and barbed wire into the WWF in 1998, Mm -hmm. and that Chainsaw was one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, your childhood hero, and your toughest opponent, And then Chainsaw does a Terry Funk style promo, uh, which makes me laugh. Um, you do get a Madison square garden house show on the 10th. So just a couple of weeks after Christmas in 1998 and they make a big deal over cactus Jack replacing dude love in the main event. (laughs) Dude love is unable to appear. He will not be able to be here and tag with Stone Cold Steve Austin to take on The Rock and D'Lo Brown in a false count anywhere match. So instead, Steve Austin has found a new partner to replace the unavailable dude love and its cactus jack.
1: I used to send uh, the ring announcer out with a long quote from dude. I have a quote from dude love. Ow, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I am so very, very, ow, hey. And, uh, you know, a dude at this point is not able to uh, to perform these duties, but he does know somebody indeed. You know, it went on yes. and on. And when there was the reveal that uh, dude couldn't make it, but Cactus Jack would, it went over very well. Oh, I'm sure.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, the go home show before the big rumble is going to be on the 12th of January. And there's a segment that's going to air with you in a college football stadium Cactus is going to talk about Terry Funk dressing up in nylons and calling himself Chainsaw Charlie. Cactus says, it's a bit odd, but to each his own. And then they show clips of Cactus and Funk in gimmick matches over in Japan. And we would see Mankind beat Goldust here to a no contest in 45 seconds. Goldust actually comes to the ring dressed up as Dude Love. And Luna is going to wear some Dude Love themed style clothes as well. And before the match gets very far, Austin comes in, gives Goldust and Mankind stunners, and he uh, rips the headset off of Jr's head and stands on the announcing table and talks about the rumble. You got three characters here represented, <laughs> so we're certainly planning a seed. Yeah, yeah. So talk to me about how this idea is first presented to you, or was it, in fact, your idea?
1: No, the, the three characters was not my idea, because I don't think I would have had the gumption <laughs> to the uh, the phantom balls. I wouldn't have the phantom balls. balls. balls the uh, phantom balls. Hashtag phantom balls. To bring up that <laughs> such an idea. I really don't. So I have to believe it was a cornet. Uh, man, gonna a man is going to create a cornet or Russo Oh,
0: idea. Lord. Look what you've done accidentally. I'm not
1: sure. So maybe we can have both those gentlemen call in and offer up the truth. Whose idea was it? It wasn't mine, though. It was not mine. I jumped at it. I've been glad, happy to take the credit for supplying that great moment uh, or a series of great moments, but it wasn't my idea.
0: Well, I'm going to ask a question as if I'm a grizzled veteran myself. Did you get three paydays, kid? <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: I wasn't even thinking. I wasn't geared that way. Right. At that time, I didn't question anything. It wasn't until probably 98 that I started, you know, middle of 98, that I started questioning. You could talk to JR about that. I mean, yeah. and I was not, I became, got to the point where I was not shy about sticking up for, for what I thought my worth was with the sure. company. Sure, yeah.
2: good
0: for you. Yeah. Uh, when you get to the Rumble, we know that we're going to have all three characters. Um, so you're bringing all three sets of gear, but you were probably traveling with all three sets of gear at this point, at that point you know, just in case.
1: And at that point, Mankind was not going with sweats and sneakers. He was a tights yeah. and boots guy.
0: So are you carrying two bags
2: here?
1: Likely. Yeah. I've been I've been traveling the I, I hit 40 states in the United States of America in the last 18 months, so it's been a lot a lot of traveling and some international dates. You know, like Australia, New Zealand. And you're a one bag man. I'm a one bag man. Yes. So I'm a 19 inch carry on man using the buy and discard method where you just yes. you bring your right underwear Boom! It's easier to discard and buy than it is to wash.
0: And in '98, though, here for the Rumble, you're probably, especially on a TV day, you're going to bring all three sets. I got to bring all case. three. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely.
0: Um, so the idea that you're going to be in it three times, clearly, they're going to lay out the Rumble and they're going to allow you time to, you know, change and all that jazz. But were you worried about? I mean, I I know this sounds silly considering who I'm talking to. What if something goes wrong and you get hurt on on, on the first one?
1: Conrad. (laughs) (laughs) I have to believe in my heart that if I was able to function after being thrown off the cell and through the cell, that I would find a way, the will and the guts and the fortitude to carry on in that rumble.
0: I have no doubt, but I just asked to my, I asked myself, self, if you're out there as character number one and tear a damn quad,
1: what? what? No, no, it's mathematical. No quads equals no quad tears. (laughs) Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, so there you go. Just do
1: the science. Duh. Every guy who's ever been badly injured, good physique. Right. Yeah. Fat doesn't tear, brother. Gelatinous just bumps and moves on. I really worried about Tommy Dreamer a couple of years ago, took a bad bump on TV and, uh, I sent him a text message to make, he was okay. Make sure he was okay. And he came back with the fat doesn't tear.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love it. Fat doesn't tear a new t-shirt <laughs> available now. Uh, Austin, of course, wins the rumble, uh, I guess technically, but who
1: won the heart?
0: Well, that's the thing. Nobody even really thinks about the fact that he won the rumble because when people talk about the 98 rumble, they talk about you yeah. three times. Yeah. Um, I think this is interesting though, because he technically only eliminated 27 men. And I know when it came
1: time, uh, he was trying to eliminate me and you can hear it. We're tied up. It's time kid. I said, I'm Mr. January. So that was the
0: first. He had to know what was up. Yeah. I don't do that. That doesn't work for me. I'm like Billy Gunn on a TV <laughs> television loss. Uh, so let's talk about the show itself. Mike Tyson is there at the show. Yeah. And I realize now Mike Tyson is, is a pop culture figure. He's on a lot of stuff. Yeah. And he's been on AEW a handful of times. And I don't even I'm not saying this as a slide against AEW. It just doesn't matter like it used to back then. No. He, he was fresh off of, first of all, the the prison stint and he was a pay-per-view bonanza beforehand, gets in some trouble. Then there's the prison stint, the divorce that was very public. He comes out, another pay-per-view juggernaut. Oh. But in June of the prior year, he bit Evander Holyfield's ear. Mm-hmm. He gets suspended by the Nevada State Athletic Commission. But he was the proven pay-per-view draw. Oh, sure. And so now you've got that guy sort of crossing over into the WWE world. And it was supposed to happen way back in 1990 on Saturday night's main event. But Buster Douglas knocked him out, and that was it. Yeah. Um, so he's been a big wrestling fan, loves wrestling, wants to be a part of it. But this feels like a major moment where Kevin Sullivan and Eric Bischoff had talked about, we just lost because in their head, he had so much credibility with the fans.
1: So they said we just lost when they saw Tyson.
0: They saw, they thought when the WWF got Tyson, that's the beginning of the end because he was such a significant pay-per-view draw. And here on pay-per-view, we may have promoted that he was going to be here, but he doesn't really do anything. He's just sitting in the in the luxury box watching. The physicality with Austin happens the next night. But I'm just curious from your perspective as somebody who had been there during leaner times. Yeah. And now things are starting to get hotter and hotter and hotter, and let's not forget we're just we're two months removed from the Montreal screw job where we essentially said we can't afford to pay Brett and now the biggest pay-per-view attraction of all is here. Even if you are in the middle of a big losing streak to Nitro, does it feel as monumental to you to have Mike Tyson there, or is it just another celebrity? No, it
1: does feel big. Uh, Big to the point where I remember being on one of those Legends roundtables right before Mania. You may have seen it, because I I left there feeling kind of disrespected. Like, I was stomped on by the panel. And uh, when I said that Tyson... Was the most important celebrity we'd ever had. I got jumped on for that. Really? Yeah, yeah. And um,
0: what were what were the counter arguments to that?
1: That it was big enough without it. That or what are you trying to say that it wasn't big without? Yeah, it was big, Um, but it was big within wrestling. Yes, Tyson made it. Big in the mainstream, yeah. Big in the mainstream, and that was really important. It was really difficult to get mainstream coverage.
0: Tuesday morning, it was everywhere.
1: Yeah, it was everywhere. It was one of the best ESPN, things. USA yeah, WWE had ever done. Um, so yeah, I think it. I think it was the biggest celebrity appearance that we've ever had. Uh, Mike and Austin and hitting the, you know, hitting the news around the yes. world. That was really important. And I think it was. You look at the '97. Uh, Mania versus '98, '97 with Epic with Brett and uh, and Steve, but as far as a, a, a buy rate, it was very much in line with what other pay-per-views were doing, and I think '98 became the moment when it stopped being an event and became more than a weekend. Now yes. it's WrestleMania week, right? Yes. yes. WrestleMania week, people coming out and they come from around the globe because they know it's not just one event. Uh, it's a you know it's a it's a series series of events and attractions and uh, matches and different promotions from around the world all setting up camp in whatever city we choose and I think Tyson's appearance had a lot to do with ushering in that new era where WrestleMania is you know reestablishes itself as the uh, you know the big the big kid on the block
0: when you. I'm just making the assumption you met Mike Tyson that day for the first time.
1: No, he, I met. Yeah, yeah. And uh, to show you, look, if, if Mike went to jail for. rape. If, yeah, he went for a few years. Yes. Uh, tens of millions of dollars, debt to society. I mean, for me, I'm you. You pay your your debt to society. You come out. For those, because there were people who said, hey, wait, you work in an organization you volunteer for RAIN and yet you pose with a guy who's been convicted. All I'm going to say is paid a big, steep price. Um, and when Mike met me, he was talking about mankind hanging out with rats and I, I had no idea what he was talking about. What he was talking about was- the original
0: vignettes. The original
1: vignette, which I had forgotten I even did. And there was another period where I did another convention before conventions became a, a wrestling conventions became a thing. A thing. Doing one in California, and a guy named Sal Corenti comes up to me and goes, "We got a Mike Mike Tyson problem." I said, "What is it?" He goes, "Mike says he won't go to the ring without you." And I went, "I've only met Mike once." <laughs> he goes, he, "He won't. He won't go to the ring without you." And so I meet up with Mike. And I, okay, I'm there for you. And it was funny because once he got in the ring, then he was all his. But it was just that trepidation about going down and being outside your comfort zone. But he was such a big fan, that becomes infectious because we know who's there. Yes. You know, there are people who clearly don't want to be there, and there are people who just love it, and Mike was one of those guys who loved it.
0: I just love that. Of course, uh, as everyone recalls, Sean gets hurt during the casket match with The Undertaker, and that's obviously going to throw a big monkey wrench into the plans. Um, did you know that he got hurt that night, or is it, did you just hear about it after the fact? <sighs> just
1: heard about it afterwards.
0: Did you see the bump? I mean, Yeah. It, it, here's got thrown called.
1: over the top rope, clipped the casket. On was, the edge. Yeah, it was lower back, right?
0: Yep. yep. It, it's uh, Boy, I hate to make this comparison because it sounds awful. But in NASCAR, I'm not a big NASCAR fan, but you've seen, like even on SportsCenter, these over-the-top, unbelievable car crashes. And seemingly, most of the time, the guys somehow, by the unscathed. grace of God, just walk away unscathed. But then we would see Dale Earnhardt's crash. And that it doesn't looks, look doesn't nearly. Look like much, right? And he's yeah. gone. Gone, yeah. And I think this bump is something where it's like, wait a minute. If somebody's going to get hurt, it's going to be you being thrown off and landing on the concrete or Yeah. But just landing on the casket, don't get me wrong. I'm not questioning whether or not it was a legitimate injury. I'm just making the comparison.
1: It's the the straw that breaks the camel's back.
0: Yes. So
1: it's the accumulation. It's the accumulation. Yes. So I lost in 2004, for example, I lost the 60 big ones. I, I, you know, started six months earlier at 330, got myself down to 270, felt really good, you know, had that epic match with. uh, with uh, Randy Orton uh, at uh, uh, Backlash, uh, May 2004. And then three days later, I'm watching my children play at a water table, you know, children's uh, Fisher Price water table. I try to get up out of my chair and I can't stand. My goodness! So it was just a ligament giving way that had been hanging on by a thread. So same, Analogy to Sean, it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's not that one bump; it's that one bump capping off decades. At that point, not decades, fifteen years. Sean had been around since uh, eighty-four, eighty-five. Hard, you know, hard worker, bump taker extraordinaire, and it was his back uh, way of saying, "Hey, we're out of here."
0: Did you put Christmas on a credit card? Don't stress out about that extra holiday spending. SaveWithConrad.com can help you consolidate all of your high interest rate credit cards into one much lower monthly payment. SaveWithConrad.com has helped families just like yours save up to $800 a month. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And did I mention no payments until March? So don't make saving money a resolution next year. Make it happen today at SaveWithConrad.com. So let's get to the rumble. It opens with Cactus Jack against Chainsaw Charlie. And before we go any further, I I just got to think, man, the little kid in you, knowing that regards you hold Terry Funk in, here you are in arguably the number two or three pay-per-view of the year. Mm
1: -hmm. It's gone on to be number two. Yes. I'd say uh, with question, but my opinion it's gone on to be a strong number two with SummerSlam. At number three. At number three. But at this time, it's either number two or number three.
0: And you're there as a character you create, yeah. a character that you were told over and over, and you would call every so often and never, ever get an opportunity. Right. And now this is a character I created that they didn't believe in, and I'm the in. The character
1: that I hear later that Mr. McMahon said he would never step foot in the WWE ring now, not only is he stepping foot, he's kicking off the rumble. Him, let's talk about third But I'm kicking off the rumble with a character I created with my idol, who yes. to me is the greatest wrestler of all time. And then we're joined by The Rock, who to me puts on a clinic. This is so. This is early '98 Rock. This is this is like a quarter of the way into his uh, trajectory as a brilliant, sh- shining star. Right. Yes. This is a Rock catches fire. In 97, by this point, he's really on the money, all cylinders. And the stuff he's able to do as far as taking bumps with a garbage can on his head, having the presence of mind to know where he is, I think at one point he actually he actually went through the rope, second and third rope, with a garbage can on his head, which seems to be an impossible thing to do. Yes. So it's almost in his DNA that he knows his way around a ring. And to me, it's just an incredible performance
0: by The Rock. And before The Rock gets in there, we have our Bushwhacker Luke performance of the year with Tom Brandy. He is in and out in a handful of seconds. <laughs> okay, uh, I don't know why, but I always love that Bushwhacker Luke spot. So where Bra-
1: Brandy was in before Rock?
0: It's you and Charlie, <laughs> then Brandy, and you guys just, as you're trading chair shots, like, no, get out of here. Gone. We've, and then here comes that's The That's such
1: a beloved moment.
0: It's such a great Great moment. It's
1: such a great moment. Whoever's called upon to deliver that moment should not look at it as an insult. It's memorable. It's memorable. I mean, Lawler basically coming in from the announce table. And getting eliminated so quickly, he's able to finish the sentence that he started.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's great stuff. Yeah. If you can't win it or be in it three times, be the guy who gets eliminated. In
0: my head, if you're not number one or two, or you're not one of the final four, (laughs) or you don't have the most eliminations, the spot to be in is that spot.
1: Oh, it's a great spot.
0: Uh, and it's funny because you know, the spot you mentioned with Lawler, it literally happened the year prior at 97. So (laughs) we got back to back cool moments here. Uh, Eventually, you're done after nine minutes. You miss a shoulder block on your own partner. You go over the top, uh, but what do you know? At number sixteen, here comes mankind, and you eliminate your partner again. Terry Funk. Terry Funk lasted twenty five minutes in this match. Uh, the artist, formerly known as Gold Dust eliminates you just two minutes in because you've got business to take care of. And dude, love. Comes- I have
1: shoes to unlace. <laughs> I was was a 17 and a half inch man. You know, I went, I wore all three characters had the boots that went up almost to the knees. I think Mankind's were probably 15.
0: Three sets of boots. Cactus went
1: way up there. If I had to change one thing, it would have been Velcro all the way around. I would have invested in Velcro for all three of those pairs of boots because that was the most ominous threat was how do I get these boots off? There'd be a team of people working on me. It was like a pit really? crew. Yeah. I'd come back and there'd be people I probably had the one boot that I was going on. Somebody else was working the other one. Yeah. And even when it came time to put on the other boot, we had someone moving here and here. It was it was harrowing. Yeah. I would later feel a lot of Uh, Not just empathy, but respect for someone who played, like, the Phantom. You know, dual roles and had to make quick changes. Anyone on Broadway? Brother. You've seen the lightning quick changes I make on Cameo, right? Mankind, to dude, to cactus, like that. Uh, I think it's, uh, again, part of who I am after that rumble.
0: I think you've only dropped it two or three times ever. (laughs) But since you've done it twice, now I'm almost Pavlovian. So when you said, I had a whole new respect for Phantom... Balls! I'm waiting on you to say balls. Phantom balls. Hashtag phantom balls. Let's get them going. Uh, Dude, love is in at 28, and he gets a decent pop. Uh, you throw out Bradshaw, and then it's the Steve Austin show. Really, um, this crowd, yeah, is just bananas. Yeah, for Steve Austin, and, or and we,
1: Pat Patterson. Respect, banana, banana, singular.
0: Did you? Is this the hottest crowd you've worked in front of at this point? Maybe. Or one of them? Because they're so ready for anything, everything Austin.
1: It's tough to say. I mean, they were so, yeah, so pro-Austin, loved Austin, responsive, even to the dude. But we'd worked a few shows, like Newfoundland is Standing Out, as just like being like unbridled joy at having... Stone Cold Steve Austin in their, you know, in their city, sure. rocks red heart, red hot, and I remember, you know, there was a lot of ad living that would go on. Someone threw a wrestle, uh, an Austin wrestle buddy, and completely, uh, you know, w- it was a lot of winging it anyway mm-hmm. with the, those guys involved. But the Rock decides to drop a people's elbow on uh, the 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 Austin wrestle buddy, <laughs> kicks the arm in, throws the <laughs> throws the pad. And he's doing that. It's one of the most ridiculous moves. This has come from a guy who used a a sock as a finishing move, right? It's up there with the stink face, the worm, and Mr. Socko. Sure. But he made it work. This incredible people's elbow. And the time was just right. Austin comes in from the corner, tackles rock. He comes down with the punches. That was among the biggest pops I've ever heard. But acknowledging places like Newfoundland and some of the other places where I had the great honor of you know like being in matches that were so amazingly uh where audience was so amazingly receptive largely due to steve but uh you know we played the hand in that too uh that those were great moments but this crowd yeah at the rumble was red hot
0: and unbelievably you're one of the last four uh it's austin rocky farouk and dude love
1: so rock stays in 50
0: he's in quite a he's while he's in almost the whole time
1: and it's right. amazing,
0: too, because this is a guy who just a handful of months prior to this, people wanted nothing to do with. Mm-hmm. Yep. And now he's got this amount of confidence from the office. And, of course, he's a big part of the Farouk storyline, and that's going to continue to evolve. Um, and then and you've had your moments in 97 with Austin, and it's pretty cool. You put the claw on Austin, who gives you a low blow, then Farouk throws you out. Uh, Rocky throws Farouk out, and then Austin throws Rocky out, and it's all over in just three minutes You wrote this in your book. Terry and I did have several great moments together. Our Royal Rumble appearance, where Terry and I willingly traded headshots before teaming up to kick the Rock's Rudy Poo candy ass, was a definite highlight. I actually appeared as all three faces of Foley in the contest. But I will always best remember the Rumble for the reaction of Terry when he realized I had him dead to rights with a steel chair. He rolled up his pantyhose so I could clearly see his face, (laughs) nodded his head up and down to give me the okay like a and waited like a man for a chair shot that nearly leveled him. Terry recoiled from the blow by staggering around and throwing two or three Fred Sanford jabs into the air, and I presented Terry the same chair, which he accepted as if it were a cherished family heirloom. I then gave Funk the go-ahead, and he clobbered me three times, and it was truly a warm moment between friends. It
1: is, but looking back now, this is only a year. A year and a half removed or less than two years removed when the, I write the, the book. So I don't have time to really appreciate the gravity of the, the three faces. Because you don't know a year and a half out that it's something people are going to still be talking about. For decades. For decades. And clearly looking back, you know, the chair shots are not something to not be necessary. proud of. And yeah, we did get the pop. But looking at the price paid, you know, by both of us, prob- probably too high. So I should not, I'm not as proud uh, of those chairs as I was when I wrote the book, for sure.
0: Well, for the rest of the uh, year here, we're going to be talking about, about a lot about 1998. Uh, it's 25 years later as our 25-year look back. We'll talk about the dumpster spot, the dumpster match. Uh, dude loves heel turn, working with Austin. The Hell in a Cell, obviously, teaming with Kane, working with Shamrock. The Hardcore Title, The Corporation, that phenomenal Survivor Series, and so much more. Yeah.
1: 98's a big year for it's you. It's going to be a lot of fun because now we're looking at the 25 year anniversaries of a lot of major moments. Keeping in mind that 93 was a pretty good year for me oh, yeah. in WCW, so those are 30. Um, those are th- 30 year anniversary. Uh, Not crazy to say yeah. out loud. Yeah, and we were just talking about uh, the first time I dude it up, which was 38 years ago. Wow. So, Conrad, just to put this in your head, you know, I'm going to gear up for a final like tour, big tour. In 2025, it's going to begin at the beginning of the year and end on my birthday, so it'll cap off. With, it'll be the 40 Years of Foley tour. Uh, the, fi- the I'm not saying I won't do a show ever, but as far as driving a around tour, and flying it. around, that's it. And it'll culminate on my 60th birthday. I feel pretty good about the fact that I I got in when I was 19. You know, had my first match when I was 20, and that'll be the uh, 40 Years of Foley tour.
0: I love it. Let's do some fan questions and we'll wrap this one up. Uh, Matt wants to know, is this one of the most creative ideas in Royal Rumble history?
1: I think so. Okay. I mean, I'd be, I'd be really happy to brag about it if it was mine, but, uh, let's get to the bottom. Let's find out in the next, uh, week or so, if this was a cornet idea or a Russo idea,
0: I'm sure we'll hear about it. Yeah. Uh, Stuart wants to know the rumor and innuendo is that Pat Patterson put together the rumble matches. What did he think of this idea?
1: I don't know for sure, but Pat putting this together was uh, clearly uh, an amazing moment for WWE. Pat, Pat usually liked he liked the stuff I did, so I I have to believe Pat really enjoyed it. This is his baby, you know. Yeah, it is, and it's only grown over time. Like I said, it's it's got a different feel to it because people flock to it for that one match. Mm-hmm. You know, you you have a great time, even if you think you're bitter towards wrestling. That's the one time, I think, when everybody becomes a fan again. More so even than WrestleMania, because the Rumble match uh, is so much fun to watch. Because you don't know what to expect. Yeah. Uh,
0: Rick wants to know, did you have your gear in Gorilla to change, or (laughs) did you have to go back into the dressing room? I did
1: have to go back to a dressing room. That would have been nice to have had it right past Gorilla, or right there, but I did go back to a dressing room.
0: Uh, Shafakan wants to know, would you change the order in which they came out? If you had to do over game, would you like to have had? No,
1: no. I was happy with the order because uh, Dude was unexpected. Mm-hmm. So I, I think uh, Cactus Jack made sense at number one. It was cool to have Cac- uh, Mankind in the middle. And I don't think people were expecting Dude. And that was the one you know that made the the lineup complete.
0: Uh, Joey, the Tory Amos guy. <laughs> wants to know, were there any discussions to have Chainsaw Charlie come back out as Terry Funk to eliminate new love?
1: <laughs> no. No, I think if if uh, if you started giving multiple roles it's to multiple a people, it's not as special, yeah.
0: Well, next week, Mick, uh, we're going to talk about uh, something that I'm pretty excited about. Abdullah the Butcher. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Should be fun. If you haven't already, please check out all the new Folius Pod merch we've got for you over at Folius Pod Shirts. We've got tumblers, posters, a new fanny pack with the hardcore legend on it. Oh, and you can even get it with an extender for all of us big boys. Uh, T-shirts like our our ever-popular King of the Deathmatch tee, the classic Commissioner tee, Mr. In Your House, but we've got a special T-shirt debuting today. Uh, Early last month, I uh, came to the realization, well, let's watch this clip. I want to go on record right now and say that you have sold yourself short. And I just realized. How so? You've been on this program for months bragging about being Mr. In-Your-House. Yeah. I think you're Mr. Royal Rumble. Hear me out. I realize that other folks maybe have won the Royal Rumble. Yeah, Maybe even more than once. Maybe a few times. But if we forget for a minute that the Royal Rumble is more than just a match, we'd be dismissing everything that you did. Because Royal Rumble 98, you wrestled three times, three characters. The very next year, that infamous I quit match that people are still talking about as one of the most brutal matches of all time. And then Royal Rumble 2000, one of my favorite matches of all time, you and Hunter, dude, you're Mr. Royal Rumble. And then
1: 2012, the sock versus the cobra. Who can
0: compete? I
1: am Mr. Royal Rumble.
0: You are. I'm glad now. If we can, it was me, Austin. (laughs) You know, I don't think we can technically sell a shirt that that calls you Mr. Royal Rumble, but by God, we can do the our our very best version of Mr. Reggie Jackson. You're Mr. January. Mr. January, come on. January is available right now over at Foley is pod shirts.com. Uh, if you haven't already check us out on uh, social media as well as YouTube Foley on youtube.com is where you want to be. Uh, I think fans are really digging what we've been doing on YouTube and the rumor and innuendo is Mick. we got some other tricks up our sleeve. We're going to be doing pretty soon. So you what know, you got, there's a friend coming to town in a couple of days and we're going to chat and it's going to be fun. I'll tell you how fair. Okay. But, He's a friend of yours, (coughs) Casey Hopkins. Oh, Uh, gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Follow us on Twitter at Foley is pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, Foley's not active on Twitter, but I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad, but Mick is at real Mick Foley. And you can catch our show on all the social media handles at Foley is pod. And we'll be back next week. Talking all things Abdullah the butcher Uh, can't wait. See you next week right here on Foley is pod. Have a nice week. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson here to tell you a little more about what adfreeshows.com is all about. Get early ad free access to more than a dozen of your favorite wrestling podcasts every single week, starting at just nine bucks. That's less than 20 cents an episode each month. And yes, you can listen to them all directly through Apple podcasts or your regular podcast apps. How easy is that? Ad-Free Shows also has thousands of hours worth of bonus content and docu-series like Title Chase, Eric Fires Back, Conversations with Conrad, and The Insiders. Plus new series like The Book with David Crockett, Monday Mailbags with Mike Kyoto and Nick Patrick, and a whole lot more. And you want to talk about early. You can't get any earlier than listening to the shows live. You can be a part of the live studio audience as we record the podcast. Plus, ride shotgun alongside your favorite childhood heroes for live watch-alongs, Q&As, and other interactive experiences every single month. Come on now, see for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans from around the world have discovered, that adfreeshows.com is the best value in wrestling. Check it out today, and hey, when you do, the first week is completely free, adfreeshows.com.